Back in August of 1981, Nancy and I were relative newlyweds. We had been married for a couple of years, and we moved to a foreign country, New Jersey, <laughs> so that I could start seminary. And uh, that month, we, I interviewed in several churches to be a student pastor, and uh, one of those churches was Garwood Presbyterian Church, where Arthur Pace was the pastor, and Arthur is with us today. And so I ended up serving with Arthur for a year. It was a very important year in my life because Princeton was a challenging place. Not academically, it was no, no, no problems there, but it was a very challenging place for me spiritually. And Arthur was an evangelical, spirit-filled man of God and, and a very, very important brother in my life. Well, saying that, I wouldn't surprise you that uh, three years later when I graduated from seminary, I asked him to preach at my ordination which he did, and he was by that time in the military as a chaplain, and uh, that's the last time I saw Arthur Pace in person um, until Friday. Was, we figured it out. It was 37 years, eight months, and one day since we had seen each other in person. But during COVID, one of the blessings of COVID was that we reconnected via Zoom, and for about a year, we've been meeting twice a month via Zoom, and when the men's retreat came up, I thought it would be really great Thing to have Arthur come and lead the men for the men's retreat, which turned out to be true. He did a really excellent job, as I knew he would, and uh, God really worked through him. And I thought, well, while he's here, we ought to have Colonel Pace um, preach, because we're having this new series. We, we just finished a series, for those who are new, called Passing the Baton, three weeks, weeks where we talked about how I'm going to be stepping down as lead pastor in two and a half years, and Pastor Alex DeRosa is going to become the pastor. And now we're moving into a series called Spiritual Disciplines. Now, what better person to have preach the first of a series of messages on discipline than a colonel, a full colonel, not, not a lieutenant colonel, full colonel in the U.S., military, especially when we're going to be talking about service as a spiritual discipline today. So uh, I'm going to have Arthur come up and he's going to share with you, but I just want you to understand, I can't, I cannot overstate the value that Arthur has in my life as a mentor, as a brother. He's only four years older than me, but he was a mentor because he was farther down the path than I was. And he showed me a lot of things about ministry. In fact, somebody said, oh, so he did a good job teaching you how to preach after the first service. I thought, well, that's good. Uh, I mean, because if you think I preach well, I did get a lot. In fact, I realized a lot of my phrases and sayings come from Arthur. Um, and that's what happens when somebody is such an impact in your life. And he's actually going to talk about that. They sort of rub off. The image rubs off. And, and really what the image in Arthur that rubbed off on me was Jesus as you're going to see this morning. So let's welcome uh, Colonel Arthur Pace. Well, we uh, conclude a kind of a long weekend, and it has been a real joy for me to come. And uh, as I've been saying, each, you know, anybody who's here for the first time, we have something in common. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm here for the first time. And... Uh, you know, but, but before we do that, I, did, I, was, I had the privilege of leading the men's retreat, and uh, hopefully maybe in the future we'll have some more, and men who miss that, that, what a great fellowship to get out, and iron sharpens iron, and get together and just encourage each other as men in Christ, what a powerful thing. But they had a real problem introducing me. They couldn't decide what title to use for me. Because you know? in the Army, uh, we don't actually go by colonel, they, whatever your rank, you're called chaplain. That's what they do. Even if you're a general, you're called chaplain. So... 
But I am a colonel. About, about 10% of the chaplain corps gets promoted to colonel, and God in his infinite wisdom or folly allowed me to be able to do that. So, uh, uh, and it is a privilege. And I started thinking about all the titles that I have had in, in, in my lifetime. And, and for many of you, this is true too. And I mean titles. I mean, I've been a, I am a reverend. I uh, had titled pastor, and then a child chaplain, ultimately rank-wise, the title colonel. Then I left uh, when I retired, came to work for American Bible Society, became boss. They call me boss. <laughs> and, uh, and I was thinking about which title I like the best. You know, odd things to think about. I, think about. I was thinking about this this morning when I woke up in my prayer time, and I... Um, Realize that the titles I like the best are the most humbling. And I, you don't know me. But what I'm about to tell you is the absolute truth. My best title is son, when God calls me that. Oh, I love my daddy. But my heavenly father calls me son. And I didn't earn that. He adopted me through the blood of Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you that's a humbling title. The next is when my wife calls me sweetie. <laughs> Except now that we're old, that usually means she has work for me to do. <laughs> <laughs> I have two daughters. They call me daddy. They're grown up with families of their own. And they call me daddy. That's precious. And for the past seven years, I've got the biggest title of all. Pop, pop. <laughs> <laughs> and I melt before those children, and I miss them and pray for them. And it's a great title. For you see, it's all about each other. It's not about me. It's not about you. But other people. Those are the best titles of all. They just really are. And so Chris gave an introduction, and some of you who've had to attend his services multiple times, I had the privilege of preaching last night as well and this morning, uh, earlier this morning. And uh, so I, I tend to tell the same story, and um, that's too bad because you're a captive audience. Uh, <laughs> but it is important to understand that uh, when Chris was, was our church, we were a little church. Uh, Garway, New Jersey, you'd have no reason to know it. It's not famous for anything. We don't really produce anything. It's just a one mile, it is literally a one mile square town. It is one mile square. And uh, very tiny. And we have these two big, prosperous towns. I mean, they're big, and they are prosperous around it. We are literally a hole in a donut. So if you were to actually draw it on a map, we're like this little hole right there in the center. Uh, and so, uh, and there are three churches in that town, and uh, we were the smallest. Uh, so you had a, a very large Roman Catholic church. That part of New Jersey is, because uh, I'm from New Jersey originally, and somebody has to be, um, <laughs> but I got out alive. You know, um, you know, they say, why are New Yorkers so depressed? Because the light at the end of the tunnel is New Jersey. <laughs> but anyway. So I don't know why I say these things. Anyway, none of this is in the screen. Those of you, who, who, the people operating this thing, no, I'm just ad-libbing right now. Anyway, so we, um, but we go, we're a little mosque, and, we had these, and we're the little church. And, and, but we were growing, and, and the Lord was anointing, and we were growing, we were doing some really cool things. And, 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 we, and we had this opportunity to get a student, a, a student pastor, and, and Chris came, 
and was one of the folks who, who came and talked to us about coming. And when he left, the elders and I looked at each other and said, he ain't ever coming here. <laughs> he is big league. I'm not joking. He is big league, and we are little league. We can't offer a person of this giftedness enough. We could try, but we don't have it. But, as I was teaching the men over the weekend, I have a, I have a philosophy of life that God cannot steer a parked car. God cannot steer a parked car. I said to the elders, we're all in agreement, we want Chris. So I'm going to call him now before he can talk to another church. <laughs> <laughs> and Chris and Nancy so graciously agreed to come, and we shared a great year. And, um, and as we've been catching up, I, I, I'm not sure Chris fully appreciated how much he ministered to me. Our job uh, pastoring a, a small church, you all know, any church, but I, it was hard for me. And uh, struggled and, and did things. But my wife was lonely, uh, too. That's going to be lonely being a pastor's wife. Nancy ministered to her. We'd have him over the house, and we'd have all kinds of fun. As he was sharing stories I was really surprised he'd share. You know, he and I'd sit on my back porch spitting watermelon seeds. Come on, you know that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Except Chris always beat me. I hated that. But anyway, other than that, it was always good. And so when Chris said yes, and we got to spend that year together, and never forgot them. Never did. And there are times in which distance and circumstances cause us to lose touch with one another, but they never leave your heart. And when Chris contacted me and said, how about if we reconnect, there wasn't any prayer involved. Now, poor Chris had to put up with my chaotic schedule. I, I am a consultant, and I'm at the, I'm at the whim of, of Bible Society when they need me, and I, I, I do things for them. And I said, so he's very patient, but we, we try to meet about every other week, and it's been a continued blessing. And to be, see Nancy again in person has just been so great. And once again, the, their hospitality is super. So this has been so much fun for me to meet all of you who have blessed their lives so much, and hopefully they've blessed your lives as well. It's just great for me to do that. To see ministry expanding, the ripples of ministry, you don't, under, you don't get it when you touch one life. The ripples of ministry that continue outward and further, the other lives that are touched by the lives you touch. Oh, God is so good, isn't he? Oh, so good. All right. Okay, I'm going back on script. You guys are all looking at me. I'm going back on script. Okay, because I want to get the most important part, the Word of God. So, uh, our scripture is coming from Matthew's Gospel. As you know, Matthew, the tax collector, Levi was his other name. Um... Uh, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, if you have your Bible uh, or Bible up, uh, I want you to turn there right now, uh, and they're also going to project it onto the screen. They told me I don't have to read it off of this, I can read it off of that, and I said if I could read it off of that, I wouldn't quite need these. So, anyway, so I'm going to stick with looking down here at my, my printed out version of it, uh, but it, this is the Word of God. Listen to the Word of God. Still our hearts, our minds, and our spirits now. This isn't a book. It's the Word of God. These are life-changing words. Listen to the word of God. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage. That's a denarius. If you have a different translation, it's a denarius. That's a day's wage. Okay. I, 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 where am I? Uh, he agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them that he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon, and again at 3 o'clock, he did the same thing. 
At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they'd receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, Friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. May God add his blessings to the reading of his holy word. Let us pray. And now, O oh Lord, we come before you as your children. We pray, Lord, you remove from us any distraction, the thoughts of the day or the week or the plans of the day. And for this moment, let us sit in your lap and let us hear your words to us today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I love that parable. People often have kind of strange attitudes when it comes to work. That surprise anybody? Surprise anybody here who has teenagers? <laughs> well, there, I'll give you a story. There was this one manager who had, to, had a job applicant before him and had to give him the bad news. So he talks to the job applicant and he says, Manager says, I'm sorry, I, I can't hire you. There just isn't enough work to keep you busy. And the applicant smiled eagerly and responded, you'd be surprised how little it takes. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been told that there are three kinds of workers. When a job presents itself, when an opportunity is before, there's three kinds of workers. Maybe we ought to think which one of these we are. And let's give an example. It makes it a lot easier. A piano has to get moved. Piano needs to get moved. There are three kinds of workers. The first kind gets behind the piano and pushes. Second kind gets in front of the piano and pulls and directs it. The third time type of worker grabs the piano stool. <laughs> that got me thinking, what kind of worker am I really? For the Lord. How do I respond when he calls me into service for him? And what are his expectations of me when he calls me into service for him? And that's what our verses for today give us a pretty good clue about. Now, this scenario that Jesus is discussing here would have been very familiar to the people of his time. So those to whom he's speaking would have very much understood what he's describing to them. They would have seen this as part of their daily routine almost. Owners of vineyard in Jesus' time, and I think today too, 
we have toured Napa Valley, which is a beautiful place to tour if you've never done it. And I learned a lot about what goes into a vineyard then. And so I think it's still true today, is that they had their normal laborers that would work, but when the, but when the harvest time comes, so they have their seasonal workers who do all the work and get it prepped, but when the harvest comes, if the seasonal workers cannot keep up to bring in the harvest in time, then the vineyard owner goes out and hires day laborers. So they, they're not the ones who planted or fertilized, but they come in to help pick the harvest so they can get it all in before it goes bad. So they hire day laborers, and that's what's happening uh, in this story. They have to pick all of these as quickly as possible. So a work, would, as Jesus says in this story, in his time, work would normally start about 6 a.m. Uh, to try to beat the heat of the day. And as I already said, a denarius was a normal day's wage, not just for vineyard workers, but for a lot of other occupations as well. Now, the key thing about this, however, is that this story is not being told to teach us about farming, but to teach us about the kingdom of God. And so we see the point in today's take-home point, the main point that I'm going to be making from today's scripture. And this is the take-home point. When God puts forth his call for seasonal and day laborers, he expects all those Christians who respond to be conformed, to be content, and to be convinced. Well, so let's look at each of those. First, God expects those Christians who labor for him to be conformed. Now, in the parable, the vineyard owner asked for workers to bring in the harvest, and many people responded to that. God is the owner of the vineyard. And he is still asking for workers to bring in the harvest. That means we are to yield our will to his perfect will, to respond to his voice, and to see his call as importantly as he does, as a priority in our lives. That reminds me of a toy that I used to love as a boy. And I love sharing this, and, and, and people, it's called Silly Putty. You've heard of it, Silly Putty? And I, I've been told by the other, uh, other groups, other services, that it's still available. I guess I haven't seen it. But I have shared that it really, it really makes me feel old when the toy that I love so much as a boy is being featured on the History Channel. <laughs> and I watch that show anyway. <laughs> the history of Silly Putty. So... So those of you who may have forgotten about it or don't know what I'm talking about, it, was a, it came in an egg, a plastic egg, which kept it moist so you could do it, you know, and, and I just was, I was terrible. I'd lose that egg first day, dry out, mud throw it away. It was a really good thing. But, um, but regardless, if you kept that egg on it, it kept it moist. And it was a putty, so you could mold it. You could shape it like you could clay. And uh, what I really liked about it was is that I, I, could, I, I could take it and I could put my thumb on it like this, and you take it away, and you could see your fingerprints. I just thought that was really cool. I have, that's a real boring childhood. Anyway, <laughs> and the other thing you could do is you could roll it into a ball. Roll it into a ball and bounce it off the wall, bounce it off the floor. It's kind of a built-in rubber ball. I thought that was great. But the coolest thing of all, coolest thing of all, was, man, you could take that silly putty, and you could make it flat and thin, make it nice and flat. And then you could put it on the newspaper. Picture, 
and for the kids here, newspaper was a paper thing that where we read that and um, uh, no buttons and it didn't plug in. So, uh, you know, uh, your history teacher can tell you about it. Okay, anyway, so, so you have that, so news, news ink, newspaper ink would come off. So you could, you could put that over a picture and when you pulled the putty off, it transferred the picture to the putty. Now, here's where it gets bad. So what I figured out, my parents said they didn't actually raise me, they survived me. And so what I figured out as a rather young is that I can now take that putty with the face side up now, with that face I just, I just got off that newspaper. And if I threw it just right, it would stick to the ceiling and the picture would be on the ceiling. And of course, you have to know me. Ooh, let's do another one. <laughs> Not much silly putty in my household. Anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, somebody, really, somebody asked me after the, after the service this morning's earlier service, said, you know, didn't you have an off button? I said, oh, that broke a long time ago. <laughs> oh, yes. Anyway, uh, my parents really get, get a lot of jewels in their crown. But anyway, but the Lord, anyway, as we're saying, doesn't want us just to respond to his call, but to conform to his call. When he asks us to do something, uh, we need to do it wholeheartedly with all that we have. We need to respond to him. We need to yield to the one who owns the vineyard. We don't know if we're going to labor for a day, for half a day, for an hour, or for a moment. We don't know that. But instead, we know that we're called to labor. We may not know. Why us? Why now? Why that vineyard? We may not know that either. But instead, we have this attitude, that it is a privilege to serve in any capacity in any vineyard that belongs to our Heavenly Father. We're willing to reorient our priorities to accommodate God's call in our lives. By our Lord's help, we submit to his guiding hands. We allow him to shape us for the, ta for the task ahead of us, just like we'd shape that silly putty. He will shape us. And in the shaping of our lives to serve him, we bear the very fingerprints of God on our soul. And when hard times come, because of his strength, because he holds us in his hands, we bounce off of adversity. We bounce off of adversity. Not because of our strength, but because of his. By his power, we're able to bounce. And then, just maybe, we might come in contact with someone else. And because we, as putty, have come into the presence of Jesus Christ. We bear his very image on us. And maybe, just maybe, when we touch somebody else, we transfer that image of Jesus to them. We let them know what it is to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. In the ninth chapter of Matthew, Jesus said this to his disciples. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers 
into his harvest field. That is to be our daily prayer. People are going to Christless graves, and Jesus says, pray that workers will go into the harvest. And I suggest you add one thing to the prayer. It is what Isaiah said. Here I am. Send me. So we don't just pray, God, send other people. Yes, we pray that. But God, if, if you need me, I volunteer. I, this is how I pray. I really do. You know, th- that image of Isaiah? You know, he's high and lifted up. God is high and lifted up. Train fills the temple. He's caught up in the very presence of God. God is so huge that the very robe he wears swarms around the temple where all you can see. And you've got little Isaiah the size of an ant. And this great and glorious God there, standing on, sitting in his throne, high and lifted up, radiant in his glory, and, and this room is off, and there's this tiny little ant trying to work his way around all this robe. And God says, who shall I send? Now Isaiah's got to feel pretty insignificant in that room, but here I am, God. Don't know if you want me, but if you do, I will serve you. Maybe you feel insignificant. You're wrong. God doesn't ask about our ability or about our, our ability or, or, or anything else except our availability. He wants to know we're available. Ability or inability doesn't matter. Availability does. Isaiah says, I don't know what the job is, God. You know, in the army, we volunteer for nothing. You never say, we need a volunteer. No, not me. That's a sign of wisdom. But in God's kingdom, it's the opposite. When he stands up and says, I need a volunteer, we should jump out of our seats and wave our hands and say, here I am, Lord, send me. Exact opposite. Harvest is plentiful. Pray that there be workers. I pray that those workers are you and me. That prayer was answered. It is continuing to be answered. Our Lord is calling for workers to help with the harvest and he expects us to be conformed. Let's move on. Our second point here is that our Lord expects us to be content. And so the workers in the parable were doing just fine until it came time to get paid. Money, the love of money, is the root of all evil. Still is today. Some of you may be struggling with that. And so... They became jealous, the workers became jealous over the way that God was doling out his blessings to the workers. They thought God was unfair, and I think that we can identify with this. I think it's an easy mindset to have. Um, I'm going to share a story with you about heaven, but this is not a true story. It is a preacher story. Okay, so do not walk away in saying this is the way heaven is. But I like this story, and I'm a preacher, so you're getting it. So, after a preacher of this of this sizable church died, uh, he went to heaven, and he was enjoying uh, the home that he was given in glory uh, until he noticed that a simple New York City cab driver had been given a higher and more luxurious place than he had been given. He decided to complain about it. So he goes to St. Peter, and he goes, I don't understand. I devoted my entire life to my congregation." Our policy is to reward results, said St. Peter. Well, let me ask you, Reverend, what happened whenever you gave a sermon? 
minister had to admit that in his congregation, many people would just fall asleep. Exactly, said St. Peter. But when people rode in this man's taxi, not only did they stay awake, they prayed. <laughs> in today's parable, while God's people were harvesting the fruit, there was somebody else planting seeds. While they were harvesting, somebody else was planting seeds. They were seeds of envy and strife. And the planter was the devil himself. And yes, there is a real devil. He's very real, and he's very active. And in this case, he was planting seeds of envy and strife. Too often times... Too often, instead of being content with how God has blessed us, how good he has been towards us, we become jealous of how good he has been to other people. And we don't like it. How dare he bless these other people? I have an interpretation I want to share with you of the 23rd Psalm. Now, this is Art Pace's own interpretation. This is not scholarly. It isn't anything else. Uh, the men learned on the retreat we did today, I, I really like us thinking about Scripture and kind of making it our own and just kind of owning it that way. And, and, and so this is Art Pace's uh, thought of the verse that says from Psalm 23, you have anointed my head with oil, my cup runneth over or overflows. Good ones. King James people here as well as NIV and ESV people. That is really good. All right. My cup overflows. <laughs> that is great. And so uh, I, I think I memorized all my memory verses when I came to know the Lord in King James. I really do. I think they did all of them. Pretty much all of them, King James. Nothing wrong with that. So, anyway, now let me offer you my interpretation of that verse. I believe that our cup overflows not just because God is filling it so full of blessings, which, my friends, he is. He is pouring out blessings into our life. But I believe it's overflowing because instead of drinking our fill of the blessings of God, we are busy comparing our cups to everyone else. We are dying of thirst with a cup that is overflowing before us because we are thinking, Lord, why, why is his cup so much larger than mine when he does so little for your kingdom? Oh, look at that, Lord. Why does her cup have such pretty jewels on it when I know the sins that she's committed? What? Why does their wine look so much finer than my wine when I have labored so hard and so long for you? It is not fair, God, that you're doing that. And while we are jealous and complaining about others, we fail to drink from our own cup of blessings, and it overflows. Do we really believe that we can measure the goodness of God by external things? Is that what we believe? That's not biblical. Do we doubt the ability of God to love us uniquely in every one of our circumstances? To bless us to our needs because he loves us that much? There's a great rule of our spiritual lives. We cannot look jealously at others and lovingly at God at the same time. One more time. We cannot 
look jealously at others and lovingly at God at the same time. They are two different directions, and they're contradictory. God's workers are content because they have learned the secret of contentment. The Apostle Paul revealed it to us when he said that he had learned to be content in all circumstances. He learned that he can do how many things through Christ? Some, right? Some things through Christ. Right? Some things. Ever said some? Most things through Christ. Majority. Things, I'm sorry. I wasn't hearing you clearly. How many things can he do? All things through Christ who strengthened him. How many things can you do? All things through who? Who strengthens you. He gives us what we need to accomplish the task. We are called to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, not ours. To be contented laborers, our focus is to be on the Lord of the harvest and not our fellow workers. I have a story I want to share with you. I, 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 I'm very serious. I, I nearly cut this from the sermon because it's such a long story. And I figured, what the heck, where are you going? Anyway, so... Uh... <laughs> That's just the right thing. <laughs> I'm going to share it with you anyway. True story. Uh, in the glory days of the railroads, Grand Central Station in New York City was, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, one of the busiest places on earth. Has anybody been to Grand Central Station? Raise your hand. Pretty cool, isn't it? Isn't it a beautiful place? And if you go to New York, and I'm not saying make it a main place. If you have no reason to be there, it's, it's worth going and and seeing this place and imagining it at the height of immigration when people were passing through there to go to the rest of the country. It really is an amazing, beautiful place to visit. Um, but following World War II, just after World War II, there was a man who, who worked there. His name was Ralston Young. And it um, turns out that he was a, um, a friend of my father's. As you know me for a while, you realize I'm, my father is my hero. Anyway, he was a friend of my father's and stayed at our house, and I'd met Mr. Young on a number of occasions. I have very little memory of that because I was so little. I was so young at the time. You know what his job was? He was a porter at Grand Central Station. A red cap. Not a real glamorous job, is it, if you think about it? You know what a porter is? Right? They're the ones who help carry the luggage. You know, you say, I lost something, they go find it. You know, it's kind of the servant kind of a job there, and most of us here... Uh, would not aspire for, it's nothing wrong with it, and, and, and we would not say, and no, nothing's wrong with, with anything, don't, don't, don't misread what I'm saying, but in our culture, if you were to stack jobs, that is probably not one that would be stacked near the top. Would you agree? I would agree with that. He was an exceptional man. He was called a red cap, his badge was number 42. And he was a man who was very humble, minimum education, but he knew Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And he came to be known by the whole rest of the nation, the rest of the nation, as the red cap preacher of Grand Central Station. The rest of the country. Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays, a remarkable thing happened. It was noticed by a reporter, I think it was the Times, but one of the New York newspapers, noticed these top Wall Street executives going down into this station, bringing brown bag lunches, and some with Bibles. Nice, expensive suits and shoes. Mingling with these workers wearing the dirty coveralls and other things. All going down to track 13. 
just to enter a sideline train car and join Mr. Young for prayer meetings. That's pretty significant just by itself. But that's not all. He ministered for many years in extraordinary ways to the people who came through that place. He would say, and this is a quote from him, You know, everybody going through Grand Central Station isn't going on a honeymoon or going to a party. Many are going to funerals, the hospital, or even prison. So he began to minister to those people. He said, I'm the last person to say goodbye to somebody on a trip first to greet them when they come back. And he saw that as his ministry. And as a result, he affected and changed thousands of lives. People took the message of this simple red cap porter and took it to the corners of the United States. Articles are written about him. Reader's Digest did a feature story on him. He was interviewed by countless magazines and newspapers, and his legend grew, and they made a movie out of his life called Red Cap 42. And I understand it's still available on those uh, streaming services that offer the older movies. Red Cap 42. All the while, while all this fame was happening, he continued to carry bags at Grand Central Station. He continued to share with everyone he met the good news of Jesus Christ. Someone once asked Mr. Young if he wouldn't rather be doing something more important, if he wouldn't rather have a church somewhere. His answer was very simple, and this is a quote. I have the greatest job in the world. I wouldn't change this job now for the biggest pulpit in the city, and I mean exactly that. Grand Central is a parish, a big one too, and a mighty good one. Ralston Young understood this crucial requirement for successfully laboring in God's vineyard. He was content, which is what our Lord expects of all his laborers. Well, finally, in addition, our Lord expects us to be convinced. Our faith in God's calling in our lives, our hope for things to come, are to be secure. We are to be well assured that God has a unique calling for each and every one of us, and that he rewards every Christian who seeks him and who follows him. We must know beyond a shadow of a doubt that not one moment of one day, of one month, of one year, do we ever labor alone. Never. Not once. For we know that God's encouragement and his power are available to us and are present every day. His love for every born-again believer has no limits or conditions. They are infinite. They are eternal. They have no boundaries. They never stop. You don't forfeit them. He never stops loving you or me ever for he cannot love you more or less than he loves his own son, Jesus Christ, who he sees every time he looks at us, for we bear his image. We're to be convinced that every step we take in serving our Lord brings us one step closer to deeper communion with him, a deeper fellowship and walk with our Savior, Jesus Christ. That alone is a reward worth remembering. This conviction was a source of hope for the Apostle Paul. 
In his letter to the Romans, he said, for I am convinced. I'm stopping there for right now. Because I think it's easy. We know this verse. This is a powerful verse. But we've got to stop right here. This is the Apostle Paul. This Apostle Paul has been whipped and shipwrecked and stranded and beaten and humiliated and imprisoned and all these things. And he comes and he says to us, this is not a good idea that I have. I don't just think this. I don't just dream this. I don't just imagine this. I am telling you something that is absolutely true. I am convinced by experience, by relationship, by the word of God. I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, not even height, not depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. That's a promise. It is in this conviction that Paul could labor so faithfully for the Lord and so can we. We cannot and must not take our eyes off of the prize of our upward calling in Jesus Christ. We are to serve him, with the, we are served with the conviction that God calls us to labor for him. And he equips us for every good work and rewards us for the effort, even if that reward is not visible to us at the time. Filled with God's spirit and armed with God's promises, we continue to be laborers for the Lord. And that's because God expects his laborers to be convinced. Well, those are the insights, at least my insights, that I gained into looking at this parable and to look into what it means to labor for God's kingdom. Well, while parables are designed to make one point, I don't know if you know that, but parables are designed to make one point, Jesus often includes a lot of other details to his parables. And those details are valuable to us because they can often give us a deeper truth into what he's trying to teach us. And in this case, we see that indeed God calls us into service for him when we heed his call, when we listen, he expects us to be conformed, to be content, and to be convinced. Now, there's a, a man I have admired, a historic guy that I've, ignored, I've, I've admired most of my life, but I don't agree with his religious teachings, neither, or his philosophies, in general. In general. His name was Albert Schweitzer. Some of you ever heard of Albert Schweitzer? Remarkable, in my opinion. Uh, he was willing to abandon a great career in order to serve his fellow man. In 1913, he sailed for Africa, having turned his back on fame, money, and prestige. And if you know his background, I mean fame, money, and prestige. He was a prestigious doctor. And turned his back on all of that and went to Africa to his first hospital, which was a hen house. And his first operating table was an old camp board. And from there, he began this medical ministry or medical work in, with the Africans there. On a trip to the United States, a reporter once asked him, Doc, excuse me, Dr. Schweitzer, have you found happiness in Africa? Now, I want you to listen to how he responded to this. Okay, here's the question. Dr. Schweitzer, have you found happiness in Africa? And he said, I have found a place of service, and that is enough for anyone. As we consider how we can live out this message for the day, how we're going to apply this to our lives, let it be 
what we have in today's next step. I want, in fact, I haven't done this. I didn't do this yet. We're going to do this now because you have it on that screen, right? You can't see it, can you? There it is. Thank you because I, I apologize. I, 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 I didn't plan to do this. I want us to read this together. All right? When I say three, one, two, three, I will find my place in God's vineyard and that will be enough for me. You didn't convince me. You're just reading it. Let's do it again. And, and, and let's, let, now, now don't say to me. Make this promise to God. Please, let's say it again. I will find my place in God's vineyard and that will be enough for me. Amen. You can see why it was such a blessing to serve under and with Arthur for a year. Um, and I'm so glad that he's, he and I are back um, in relationship on a regular basis. And I hope this isn't the last time he preaches here at New Life. I, th I think he could... I think he could probably come back next week and everybody would be happy. Um, so, so anyway, Arthur said many things that are crucial. But one of the things that we have to understand is we can only be workers in God's vineyard if we're God's workers. Um, and there are people who aren't yet God's workers. So if that's you today, that you have never really trusted Jesus as Savior, which means rescue from sin and death for your own life, and Lord or, or owner, then here at New Life, we say that's simple. It's not easy to do it in, in everyday life, but it's simple to start. It's as simple as A, B, C. And the A is admit. We admit that we're jealous of other people's cups. We admit that we have stuff going on in our life that we don't want to have going on in our life. B, we believe that there is a God. There's an owner, the creator of all things. And he sent his son Jesus to the earth. And that Jesus is the Son of the living God. He is the Savior of all of us because He died on the cross after living a perfect life that none of us could live. And He rose from the dead. And He's back in heaven right now. And He sends His Spirit to those who believe in Him. So we believe Jesus is Savior and Lord. And then C, we confess Jesus as Savior and Lord. We start by confessing it to Him. And then we start in our family and friends and co-workers eventually Everybody will know that the image of God is imprinted on our life through Jesus Christ. And then we ask for the power of the Holy Spirit. We commit to letting the Holy Spirit lead and guide us throughout our lives. So I'm going to ask you to consider doing that today. If this is something that, that the Spirit of God is pushing you to today, that you know that you need that in your life. Are you a worker in God's vineyard? If you're not, it's not too late. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. God still wants you to be one of his workers. And all of us are going to get the same payment at the end of the day. We are all going to get to be with him in heaven. So if you aren't one of his workers and you would like to be, and you have yet to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is the day. You can pray this with me. Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner and I believe that Jesus is your son. And I believe that Jesus came down onto this earth and that he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that he rose on the third day just as he said he would. And I confess that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. 
and I commit to following him every day of my life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I will just be one of the workers in your vineyard now and for the rest of my life. I love you and I praise you and I thank you in Jesus' name.